All right, Figure It Out family. So this week I'm pumped to present this interview to you with Eric Hart, who also is known as the mobile golfer on Instagram. I'll link his contact information below. A lot of amazing experiences to date throughout his career as an editor for GolfTripX.com. So Eric specializes in writing about his experiences and traveling to uh, resorts, uh, golf resorts, you name it. The guy's really been everywhere. He's played 643 golf courses around the world. He's played 78 of the top 100 golf courses. So his perspective is is pretty amazing to think. I mean, he's not the average golfer. He's a mobile golfer. I mean, the guy has literally been everywhere. So we talk a little bit about how we met, uh, some of his favorite golf experiences, which include, you know, playing Marion over Pine Valley, which is the number one golf course. Talk a little bit about how we met talk about how he got his start in golf journalism. Uh, and he talks us through some of his favorite golf courses as well. We talked through the top 100 list. Um, we talked through some of his favorite architects. Uh, we talk about his son, Dylan, who shout out to Dylan, because if it weren't for Dylan, I wouldn't be able to have this opportunity. So Dylan, I appreciate you, man, man. I also appreciate you, Eric, for coming on and sharing your perspective. Plan on doing another one in a couple months here, um, talking a little bit about just golf culture in general and like how golf is different in the U.S. versus how it's different internationally. Uh, and then I also want to have a more of an in-depth conversation about golf architecture. Uh, I definitely am going to have to study up for that one um, because this guy literally knows it all. He is the mobile golfer. Uh, Eric is a super friendly guy. He's very accessible as well. So if you ever have any questions about uh, some of your travel trips, you know whether it be for a family or, or you and your buddies uh, or gals, Al friends want to want to get out there and experience something new. Eric's your guy. Just go ahead and send him a direct message on Instagram. It's at mobile golfer. That's M-O-B-I-L-E golfer, G-O-L-F-E-R. And he's more than happy to put together an itinerary for you. And, you know, he's someone you definitely would trust. While you're following Eric, do me a favor as well. Um, you know, my name is Dana Badaraco. If you're a new listener, my mission is to really bring new perspectives to golfers around the world. Uh, and at the end of the day, just grow the game through different perspectives. You know, golf is this amazing game that's changed my life and I want to share it with other people but I also want to help people you know I guess get exposed to different perspectives different um, different sort of angles within the industry uh, to make them grow as a golfer to make them grow as a person so do me a favor follow me on Instagram it's FIO golf pod but also do me a favor and follow this podcast on Spotify on Apple Podcasts, uh, we're on Google as well. Wherever you're consuming podcasts, you know we will will be on those platforms. So I appreciate you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, super pumped, super honored to have Eric Hart on, mobile golfer on Instagram. He's a a legend in the field. He's a a true professional, someone I really admire. Uh, but Eric, how's it going? It's going good, man. It's it's cold here, but getting warmer, so I'll take it. Nice. You're in Wisconsin, right? Minnesota. Okay, Minnesota. Nice. There's a lot of good golf in the Midwest, though, right? There's there's a lot of good golf. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin's booming right now. Uh, Sand Valley is, you know, kind of the greatest of all worlds around here. It's new golf mixed with old golf, and, you know, everybody's kind of hearing about that. Obviously, anybody who knows Bandon Dunes. You know, the same people who built Band and built Sand Valley. So, you know. But Sand Valley is like, when you look at the, and this is why I'm super excited. So for you guys who are unfamiliar with Eric, like 
what's cool about Eric is he's had so many opportunities and, and so many cool experiences in the world of golf. So the way I want to pitch this to you guys is essentially like we're going to sit with Eric and, and sort of live vicariously through him and his experiences because he's had some experiences that uh, are pretty amazing. So so when you look at the top 10 or excuse me, top 100 list, Golf Digest top 100 list. I mean, Sand Valley is easily like the newest course within the top 10, right? By far. Yeah, I mean, putting both of its courses, both all the way up there at the top right away. I mean, you knew they'd be high because of who was developing them with Tom Doak and David McClay Kidd coming in and building those courses, you know, and then Corn Crenshaw doing theirs. I mean, the Kaiser family is notorious for bringing the greatest golf minds together to build their properties and. Doing it in Wisconsin is really weird because everybody knows Whistling Straits. Pete Dye is built on the lake, so everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, Wisconsin's got great golf on the lake, but they never had anything inland. Well, Aaron Hills opened and hosted, you know, the U.S. Open. And then after Aaron Hills really started gaining some attention, people realized there was sand in the middle of Wisconsin, which is kind of foreign. It's all glacial residue. But then... uh, they were Mike Kaiser had somebody he was out flying around and flew over the property and they could see all these dunes in the middle of Wisconsin. And they went in and started digging into all of it and they found course after course after course. So yeah, it's the hottest newest thing in, in the Midwest and everybody's kind of building off that. But you but Midwest, but also like kind of the world, right? I mean, it sits up, it's, it's like a top ranked course in the world and it's in Wisconsin. But it's also like, you know, it's fairly new. Like when you look at its timeline, like how long has it been? It's only been around for like a few years relative to like, you know, the Cypresses and like this, obviously St. Andrews, these other like amazing courses, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Wisconsin is a a last decade type of thing. Like Aaron Hills was a long time in developing, but forever it was whistling straights and nothing else. And now, you know, uh, Aaron Hills is great, but Sand Valley is just, it, it brings everything. It's the best of resorts with the best of golf, with the best of service and the best of everything. And for people who have never really gotten it together and gone out to Oregon and, and visited Bandon Dunes, but have always wondered what it was like, you know, Bandon Dunes is Sand Valley on steroids, but at least people here have something to compare Sand Valley to, you know, in their heads. So, yeah. yeah. So, so when you think of Sand Valley and like the layout and, you know, what's cool about Bandon is each course has its own unique feel. So when you think of Sand Valley, uh, could you like kind of compare it to like, okay, it's a blend of like Pacific and, and, and old Mac, or it's a blend of, you know, it has a little trails feel and uh Bandon do, you know what I mean? Like, how would you kind of, from your perspective, explain it to someone who has never so- seen it? To somebody out on a coast who's who's trying to figure out what golf is like there for that, um, Whistling Straits is a lot more like Bandon Dunes and Pacific Dunes than anything at Sand Valley is. Sand Valley would be more along the lines of Bandon Trails, uh, Pasa Tiempo, um, you know, Alistair McKenzie type stuff, you know, and They've got a brand new course opening here this summer, um, the Lido, and that's a, a remake of an old school classic from from New York. And that one is going to be, you know, kind of like Sand Hills, Valley Neal, all that kind of stuff, you know, but in Wisconsin. So 
you got some very high-end golf coming to here. I would say it's more Bandon Trails than Bandon Dunes, Pacific Dunes, Old Mac, and those. But, uh, you know, built the same way under the ground as those, as Pacific and all those are. It's They're sand-based courses. Whereas all these courses here, Minnesota, we have almost no sand-based courses. All of our courses are far more dirt uh, mm. built, dirt and rock. So a little bit different. Yeah. How So how many times have you been out there? Sand Valley? Yeah. Four. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Everyone see, that's what I'm saying. We have to live vicariously through you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... It's good. Yeah, I love it. Then you it. go to like the inaugural, because Dylan was yeah. telling me that. You guys had gone to like the inaugural like opening or what was that like, man? So we went to the grand opening of the very first course and it was a media open. So it was like all of Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota, all the, all the media people were there. And I took Dylan along with me. And, you know, it kind of sticks in Dylan's head because all these hot shots are all gathered around and they're all doing this closest to the pin contest from the, the perch right behind the 18th green chipping down this hill to 18. And so you got all these people up here, 40 or 50 journalists all hitting their shot, taking their shot and getting down there. And then after everybody else goes, the, the guy who organized it all, you know, was like, Hey Dylan, you want to take a shot? And Dylan's like, sure. And Dylan steps up and he puts it to like a foot yeah, Dylan's a great golfer. Dylan's a great golfer. Yeah. But this is him at 10, maybe 11 years old, you know, so so he does that at that age. So he takes the grand prize, you know, gets the polos and all the all the swag and all that stuff. And so then he kind of was famous among all the other journalists who were there at the time because they're like, yeah, this kid won all the prizes, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. But you know, and speaking of Dylan, he's my son. He's 20 now. You get to play golf with him. But he uh, kind of has been my tag along on all of these. So at all these big media events that we go to, there's like 50 adults and then this one little kid, you know, so. It just kind of reflecting on how, how we met and how we got connected. So Dylan and I were playing this little kind of crapper course in, in San Diego called Mission uh, Mission Bay Golf Course. It's like an executive par three course. And uh, I'm a chatty guy. So he was on the tee. He was turning. I think he actually teed off 10 and we were turning. I'm like, hey, can we join you and your buddy? And he was, you know, super friendly. And we just started chatting. And, you know, we just started talking naturally, like favorite golf courses, talking about band and talking about all these things. Like I had told him I had just played Cypress Point, which obviously is an amazing course thinking like I'm pretty I'm pretty cool. Like and then Dylan just goes on this tear of all these golf courses he played. And I'm like, dude, how are you even doing this? And he's like, well, my dad's a journalist. You know, my dad's been in the industry for a long time. And we just kept talking and talking. I'm like, all right, I have to get Eric on the pod. <laughs> so I'm glad that we can finally sit down because it's been months in the making. That was, I want to say January. So around, you know, three, four months now. Right. Um, so super stoked, super pumped to have you on. Yeah. One of the things I always tell people, because uh, I always people always ask me like the best stories that I have in golf and you know, just from my own personal experiences, one of the ones that I always go to was when Dylan was nine years old, uh, I was driving down to Florida for a, for a golf thing, and we were going to be staying at a bunch of different resorts. I think he just turned 10. And uh, so he was 
along with me and we went to Sawgrass. And so we're at Sawgrass and we're out taking pictures and that kind of stuff. And we get around to Island Green 17, you know, one of the most famous holes in golf that everybody knows about. And uh, we pull up there and Dylan's like, Dad, do you think I can hit a hit a shot? And so, sure. You know, so he goes over and there's a starter sitting in his cart right there. And they're kind of monitoring people to make sure that they don't sit there and just keep hitting balls over and over at the, the green. So he's sitting there and, and Dylan walks up and kind of looks at him and he's like, can I hit a ball? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So Dylan hits the shot and he, you know, gets on the green right away. And the guy's like, I bet you can't do it again. And Dylan's like, okay, you know, I bet I can. So he throws another ball to him and he hits it on the green again. And he's like, bet you can't do it again. So they were doing that. And he and the starter are sitting there. Dylan goes on to hit about 60 balls. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, about 60 balls. 60? 60. Where is he from, getting these balls from? From the starter, you know. Okay, he's yeah, he's just passing them, yeah. Back of his cart, right. and there's nobody else out there. So here's this 10-year-old kid and this ranger who are parked out there, and the ranger just keeps tossing ball after ball, and Dylan's just hitting off the tee onto the island green. You got 57 yeah. out of 60 at 10 years old from yeah. the tour tees back there where everybody Which was plays hitting. like 120, 140, or what does it play? 140, yep. Okay. Yeah. So he's hitting all these shots out here, and this foursome comes up afterwards, and they go out and they pick it all, pick it all up, and clean it all up, and they're like, you know, what's going on here? And the starter's like, oh, this kid was just out here, and he's just hitting all these balls. So before he got to play Sawgrass, he played it the next day, but before he got to play Sawgrass, he literally got to do pretty much everybody's dream of just standing there and hitting a bucket of balls at the the most famous island green in golf. Just this little 10-year-old kid out of nowhere, so it's pretty cool. Shout out to Pops, though. I mean, that's awesome because he wouldn't be able to do this, you know, without you. So, well. oh, that's awesome, man. So so for you, like, how did you how did you get into, you know, I, I feel like you have this dream job. A lot of people uh, would love to just be able to travel. Um, so kind of like what what's your background or how exactly did you land this gig? So the funny thing about it is that I was, you know, they always say beggars can't be choosers. And that's kind of where I was in it. I really wanted to be a journalist coming out of college, but journalism was dying. All the, all the media, all the magazines and that were cutting their jobs. The people that were my idols, like Matt Janella and all those guys were all leaving their positions and going to other positions. So it really was a terrible time to try and get in. Well, what I decided to do was I was going to write these little snippets for this guy. His name was Bruce, and he was putting together what he called the Hacker's Guide. And it was for, you know, all of us hacks, all of us non-professional golfers, and just a little paragraph on every course that we went to with our ratings. And so when he was doing that, he's like, it doesn't pay anything, but you can go play free golf. And I was like, okay, well, I'll do that. So I started with that. So probably my first hundred quote unquote stories were just a paragraph on all these different courses that I played. Well, after that, I, was that all around the U S as well, or was it just no, kind of like domestic all, or locally to your, okay. Yeah, it was all Minnesota. So it was all just local little piddly dink courses. You know, I, I'm trying to think, I think the biggest deal that I got was like, I got to play the classic at Madden's, which at the time was a top 100 course and still is on one of the the charts, but it was a top 100 course and I had to play it for free. And to me, you know, $125 course here I am coming in. I'm like, wow, I got to, got to go play that course. Well, 
I started there and from those little snippets, a couple of newspapers in the Twin Cities, St. Paul Pioneer Press, Star Tribune, asked if I wanted to write like a paragraph for them. Well, that paragraph led to a magazine contacting me, led to a, a news program doing an interview with me, led to another magazine contacting me. And it kind of blew up to where all of a sudden tourism, Scottsdale, tourism, New York City, tourism, wherever, were reaching out and saying, hey, would you do a little Midwest recap of the best golf courses you've played in the Midwest? I started writing for Golf Now, started writing for anybody that would take anything. Well, I'm still not being paid a pay, not for anything. So this would be 2010. Yeah, 2010. You know, so the interesting thing with it is, is I don't, I don't believe I'd have ever gotten to do any of the stuff that I got to do if I hadn't agreed for the first three years to do everything for free. Um, after those first three years, I started to get trips. And so media organizations were calling like Pinehurst and, you know, Bandon and Pacific Northwest out there. And we did Pebble and Cypress and all that. So Scottsdale, you know, uh, Myrtle Beach, Florida. But also internationally as well, right? Based on my conversations with Dylan. I mean, you've literally been all over the world for golf. Yeah. So all these magazines that weren't necessarily affiliated with golf, like South Florida Luxury Guide and, you know, just different journalism things around were contacting me because I had been everywhere. So they didn't want to pay people to travel to these places. They wanted to pay people who had already been to these places. Taking those things and then, like, as you kind of got out of Dylan, what I decided to do was they were looking for a new angle. So I went into the family golf angle. And so I started writing all of my stories from the family slash golf resort perspective. So, you know, back in 2016, we did uh, an 18 resort trip through the Northeast where we stayed at resorts in Vermont, New York. Massachusetts, Maine, everything, but I took the whole family with me. So all six of us were driving around and it was a three week trip where we stayed at a different resort every night, played different courses every day. And we put that together. Well, once we did that and we published all of that, all of a sudden Florida and Georgia wanted us to do the same thing. So we did a three week trip to Florida wow. and the Carolinas and put that out. So my kids have been to like 150 different, all four of my kids have been to like 150 different golf resorts, um, all for stories that I was writing for 20 some different publications and tourism bureaus. So even still here we are 10 years into it, I'm not being paid for the majority of what I'm doing, but everything's being covered. So restaurants are all you know all the foods being covered all the golf's being covered all the lodgings being covered and all that i just had to get to places so you could look at it and say well your job's not a very good one because you worked 14 years and you probably only made 10 grand but we probably lived uh what i would say a million dollar experience for our family over 14 years without ever having to pay for anything yeah no that's incredible have you taken like international trips with the family as well? Or is, are those mostly just like you independently kind of writing as a, as a solo traveler? 
so Dylan's been a lot of places with me. Most of them are, are Dylan and I. Uh, he's played just over 400 courses now in 42 states. And, you know, he's been to Mexico with me, been to Canada, all over Canada with me. Uh, he went to Ireland with me last year. Um, so he's getting to experience what I consider are the best courses out there. And every time that I'm on podcasts or radio shows and that kind of stuff and start talking about the places in each of these countries that should be on people's bucket lists, it's always interesting to have my perspective and Dylan's perspective as a first timer versus somebody who's been doing it for, you know, 15 years. Um, and, and to be able to compare those two. Mm -hmm. No, that's a really cool bond to have with, with your son as well, you know, getting to travel. And I just, I want to have something like that with my kid, you know, when I, when I'm older, uh, so that's, that's really badass to hear, you know? Um, so do you count courses that you've played or is it just like, yeah. like so how many have you played? I'm, I'm at 643 right now. 643. Wow. Yeah. How hey, many of them are on the top 100? Uh, I've played 78 of the top of golf digest top 100. Okay. Can we just start at the top? <laughs> have you played, have you played uh pine Valley? I have not. So interesting story with that one. When I was heading out east, I had I had a, a contact that was a member at both Marion and Pine Valley. And he told me, he's like, I only have time for one round, but you can pick which one you want. Um, it just so happened that it was going to be two weeks before, three weeks before the U.S. Open at Marion. And so normally 99 out of a hundred times I would have taken Pine Valley because I've always wanted right. Pine Valley. <laughs> yeah. But because the U S open was going to be at Marion and the rough was at U S open height and the greens were running at U S open height and everything. I was like, it's kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity to play a top 10 course at the time. And right before the U S open. So right. I you had to be like one of the last rounds too, right. To get out. Cause they, I, I've assumed they, sh they shut the course down, right. Like they really do. A couple months before. Right. I mean, they told us that they were only having like 16 people out a day, you know, and a lot of it was just, I mean, everything was just the most magnificent manicured meticulous, everything. Like if you, took a divot they were they were sitting there for like five minutes and fixing the divot you know it, it was trying to make everything pristine but i've other than playing beth page black the day of the state open there i i've never played anything that was so geared towards a tournament like i played pebble right after you know the tournament was held there yeah you know, and like I like the AT&T or the like a US Open because I mean, the courses just get beaten up, right? I mean, I don't know if people realize this, but like every landing area just gets demolished because these guys are so good, right? It, it does, but it's not in the way that you would think. Like they're the landing really? areas that none of us that are not landing the areas 10 years, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're playing off the blues and you're hitting to the same, the same areas they are where they're hitting from 100 and some yards back. But that's the crazy thing is, is most golfers go out there and you'll never play a course like the pros will play it. Not at all. You know, so going to Marion and playing Marion from the tour tees because they were the only tees they had out was really special, you know, kind of an unreal experience. And people are always like, oh, I bet you regret not playing Pine Valley, but I, I still have never experienced anything like playing, playing Marion right before the Open. 
So Marion's in Chicago, right? No, Marion's Philadelphia. Or, or Philadelphia, excuse yeah. me. Okay. Yeah. So it, that track itself, I mean, was it just like 7,600 yards or oh, Marion's 78? Like Marion's short. It was short. It was like yeah. maybe 71. Um, but the rough is what kills you. If you're just a foot off the fairway, you're just chipping out to get back onto the fairway. You're not really trying to advance the ball. It's a different kind of golf when you're playing U.S. Open level golf. It's very different. I went to one U.S. Open. It was at Olympic Club. I went with my grandma. Just kind of reflect. That was a really cool golf experience I had. I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of golf experiences here. But just walking that course as a spectator was scary. Truthfully, it was just like I could not, you know, like break 100. It just was, oh, my gosh. So I shot... When I played um, Beth Page Black from the tips, and Beth Page Black is hard enough as it is, and the Open U.S. Open has been held there and all that, but when I played it from the tips on the day of the State Open, the only option you had was to play it from that far back. And I shot a 101, and I remember being just ecstatic because I'm like, I just played this from 7,400 yards in the hardest possible conditions that I could, and... As a at the time, I was a twelve handicap. I, I felt really good about the one on one. Well, everybody's like, "Gosh, you suck! I can't believe you shot that." And I'm like, "Dude, it's 105 degrees. You know, you have to walk the walk the whole thing. You're carrying your own bag. It it was every bit of a full scale tournament. I don't feel bad about yeah. my one at all. Yeah, it just goes to show how good these guys are too. You know. So for you, I mean, have you ever played Augusta? We're just coming off the Masters. Have you been out? What about as a spectator? Oh, yeah. I went to the Masters uh, four or five years ago, six years ago. And uh, I went on. I got to pick whichever day I wanted. A journalist friend of mine, Ann Liguori, who lives out on Long Island and, you know, was kind of she was. I was helping her write a book and helping her do some media stuff out there. So I went and spent a week with her uh, at her place out there and played a lot of the courses out there. So National Golf Links, Shinnecock, uh, Maidstone, I played all those with her. But she was down at Augusta. She knew from traveling with me in Ireland and Mexico that my number one thing was to go to the Masters someday or whatever. And she had two passes for... Saturday and Sunday and she told me that I could pick what I wanted the only thing was is this was like Thursday when she called me so she's like you'd have to fly down here or drive down here in two days and be down here and so I did it I went down for Saturday and it was it was the day that Rory like golfed out of his mind and raced all the way up and then he ended up losing I think to Patrick Reed it was the Patrick Reed year but uh that I've never I've never gone to a course where I was expecting so such an incredible course and w- was so completely blown away still by what I got. I always knew, everybody always said the elevation at Augusta was crazy. You'd never believe it. But you stand by the greens there and look at the, it's amazing what those guys do. There, there isn't a 10 handicapper in the United States who could break 90 at Augusta under these conditions, you know, maybe if you play from the red tees, maybe, but right. Are the green complexes just, I mean, it just TV doesn't do it justice, right? No, you would never know. You would never have any idea. 
the speed of those greens, the slope of those greens. So many of them you look at and you're like, I can't believe that guy missed a four foot putt. Well, that four foot putt breaks four feet, you know? I mean, it was an unreal experience. Uh, everything about it was better than you could imagine. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves in golf is people who, you know, and it's kind of a ticky tack pet peeve, but it still gets to me are people who are like, yeah, I went to the masters last year. It was awesome. And you're like, Oh, what day did you go? I went on Monday. That's not the master. Don't, don't even start with me. Going to a practice round is not going to the masters. You know, do you get to see the course? Sure. Can you say you saw Augusta national? Yeah. But trust me, the experience is completely different on a Tuesday from what you get on a Saturday. It is night and day different, you know? I can't imagine. But it also speaks volume to, like, how, uh, like, prestigious that it is. Like, people are just – people just want to be there, you know? Yeah. And to them, like, going on a Monday – like, okay, you obviously are completely different side of the spectrum, right? Having been to all these courses <laughs> and having all these experiences. But some guys aren't like that. Some guys, no. you know, play at their local muni and they're super pumped. You know, on like a Wednesday and you, but like for them, it just is life changing, which is so cool and speaks volumes of the course itself. You know, I've never considered. So I came from a poor family. We never had money. You know, I still wouldn't say that I do. I couldn't afford to play most of the courses that I play, you know, never. Um, I think the most I've ever spent, and this is something that I get asked all the time. What's the most you've ever spent on a round of golf? Incidentally, it was $150 to play Cypress. You know, yeah, for the caddy, yeah, ah, so same thing. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking at, and I'm sitting here saying, yeah, I, I probably, as weird as this sounds, I've played 643 different courses so far. If I had to guess, I would tell you that I've probably spent less than ten thousand dollars on green fees. Okay, so you break that down. Yeah. Let's do the math real fast. You yeah. said 640, right? 643 courses, and I, I'm guessing. There's no way I've. Yeah, it's fifteen bucks a course. Okay. That's a hot dog. Okay. I don't drink beer, but you know that's yeah. a beer and a hot dog. So I mean, you think about yeah. that, and you're like, okay, well, man, you've lived a great life. Yes, no doubt about it. But from a very different side than what other people are, because you know how it is in golf, or or in basketball. Who are the people who always get to see courtside at an NBA game? The richest people in the world. How much do they pay for those seats? Nothing. They're free. You know. The rest of us would give anything, give our arm to sit courtside just once, but we can't. Well, on the golf side, people are like, well, you're super lucky you get to do all these things. You're kind of a golf snob. You kind of have that. I've never seen it that way because I just appreciate golf architecture and all that. But I also am not making any money off of it. I don't go home and all of a sudden I've got this fancy life. I literally put all the value of life into experiences. That's the most important thing for me by far. You know, I, I look at what I get, uh, what I get to do with my four kids and the places I get to take them. And if somebody came up and said, Hey, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars a year, but you can't take your kids with you. I'd say, no, I, I'd much rather take my family and make no money than to make a hundred thousand dollars and go by myself. So for you, when you reflect on these 643 courses, like in your experiences, is there any that sort of stick out in your mind? Oh, I mean, a hundred as far as like a couple, you know, that we can kind of talk through. I mean, in my, in my life, in my experience, uh, I've never played anything or loved anything as much as I did the old course at St. Andrews. Um, 
it's so different from what I, I mean. Imagine, imagine having a top five course in the world in your backyard. Okay, where do you live? San Diego. Okay, so top five course in the world in San Diego. All right, every Sunday they they close it, and all the public can go out and just walk all over it. Yeah. With their dog. With Someone their- was telling me you could bring it turns into like a dog park yep. on Sunday, right? Essentially. Yeah. So imagine that. I mean, this is one of the five best courses in the world and it just completely shuts down. They think of it in ways that we can't even think about it. But then every other day of the week, it's almost impossible to get a tea time. Well, the cool thing, if you're a traveler and you're you really don't care and you're open to anything is you can go and you can stand at the first tee. And if a foursome loses a player by some chance and three people walk up, you can hop in with that threesome and you can play. And you just wait in line and you just go and they just shuttle you through. So if you're a solo golfer and you want to go play play golf at the old course of St. Andrews, you'll hear people say all the time, oh, you'll never get a tee time. You'll never. Yeah, true. But if you are willing to go stand there at six o'clock in the morning and you're willing to stand there for eight hours, you're going to get on the course. You're going to get to play. Now you got to have a legit handicap. They do check your handicap card, you know, and you better not suck or you'll hear about it. But from the caddy, do you have to take a caddy there? No. Or how does that work? No. I mean, it, it works out. It's they're so laid back compared to a lot of the private places here in the U S we, we just got there and just kind of stood there and we didn't know if we'd get out. Fortunately we did. And it just so happened there were two spots open. So me and one of my traveling buddies that I travel with all the time, former editor of mine, we got to play. But And incidentally, we played with Shane Bacon, who is the broadcaster. You know, he's on. I'm not sure which network he is now. Golf Channel, I think. But what a great dude he is. And boy, can he kill the ball. But we got to play with Shane Bacon because he was traveling all over Scotland with us at the time. And, uh. You know, that experience playing in the evening, playing out there and feeling like you have the course all to yourself and you got all these people watching you. They're standing behind the walls, watching you hit every shot and all that. You know, it was amazing. I shot even par on the back nine, which is unbelievable to me. That is not my game. I am not an even par golfer. But something just clicked, and I was hitting everything, and it was one of those. At the home of golf, baby. You owe it all. We owe it all to St. Andrews, right? 100%. So that experience, we had perfect weather, you know, no breeze. It was gorgeous. Everything about it was was amazing. I've never experienced anything like that um, on the golf side. So the old course of St. Andrews is top of my list. Dylan and I played. So just real fast, like before we get into that, from, from your perspective, like having played all these courses, what makes it stand out? Is it, is it the history behind it? Or is it like, the, do you like the layout? Do you like the greens? Like, can we kind of dive a little bit more into that yeah. from a more technical standpoint? So I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I created 15 years ago, I created my own rating system for golf courses. Um, it breaks down into five categories, fun, design, beauty, playability, and intangibles. The fun side is just what you get out of a a golf round, you know? I mean, how much fun is it? Well, the old course of St. Andrews is a 10 out of 10 on the fun side because the greens are the size of football fields. 
you can putt from anywhere. You can putt from 70 yards off the green. If you suck at hitting chip shots, you never have to worry about it. You can play any way that you want. The course is really rolly, really hilly and all that stuff. It's just a blast. Scale of 1 to 10, it's a 10, you know. Design. You look at the design. All the greens are protected. The greens have lots of movement in them. They're they're huge, but there's so many different things going on to it. It it takes a lot out of you. But you can, you, I mean, you can get green and regulation on pretty much every hole if you're even remotely good. And then you just work work it from there. So, from the design factor, the bunkers are awesome. There's so many pop bunkers everywhere. You have to work your way around the course. It's as well of a design course as I've ever seen. So it's a 10 out of 10 too. Beauty, you're right on the coast. You're in Scotland. You're looking right out on the ocean, right on the bay. You can see the old city right behind you, all the ruins, all the walls and all that. You got all the brick walls dividing the different courses, the new courses right behind, beside you, the Jubilees right beside you. There's so much golf around you and it's just gorgeous. So, I mean, it's a 10 out of 10 for beauty. Playability, as I already said, you can putt from pretty much everywhere. So the worst golfer can have fun there, and the best golfer can have fun there. My wife would love it. My 10-year-old daughter would love it. You know, an expert golfer like my son would love it. You know, every level of golfer, from the hacks to the pros, you know, enjoy it. So from a playability standpoint, yes, there's a few berms. Yes, the, the pop bunkers are difficult as all heck to get out of. But it's great. You can work your way around. It's another 10 out of 10. And then the intangibles, you just think about the history. Walking across those bridges, sitting there and hitting the shots you've seen everybody hit on TV. Yeah, I know they can do it in every tournament, but the old courses stood the test of time forever. Short as it is, playable as it is, it still challenges everybody. And I've never played any course that I feel is 100% fair to every single level level of player that plays it like the old course does, you know? It speaks volumes of it because it's, I mean, it's the oldest golf course. It's just interesting to see like how something designed so far in the past can still hold the test of time. Absolutely. Yeah. and you, It's fascinating. It's literally, it's like, it's amazing, right? I, I love it's just that mind part. Blowing. I love that part, and I love the fact that you talk to all the legends of the game, and you talk to Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer and Tom Watson and all them, and you ask them, well, what's your favorite course? Well, the old course in St. Andrews. Well, you got all the snobs now that are like, well, it's too short. Dude, you won't care about the length. If you're there playing the old course of St. Andrews, you're not going to cry home because it's not long enough for you. That's never going to happen. So... You know, I think a lot of times today's golfers get lost in that whole distance thing. And, and, you know, I've played lots of courses with hickories, with wooden clubs, and they're every bit as much fun as playing with the most modern stuff because it's real golf, you know. You got to work your way around the course. Way too many golfers are playing too long of a course anyways for themselves. So, you know. Uh, you got so many people whose entire ego is built on the distance they play, and they would rather shoot 90 from 7,500 yards than 72 from 6,000 yards. And I would rather have a chance at breaking par no matter what the distance is. Yeah. No, I agree. It's just interesting to see because, you know, I, and I kind of sometimes do that myself. Like, I'll hear about a new course. Oh, how long is it? You know, like right off the bat. But there's so much more to golf 
than just length or a golf course than just length. I mean, you'd mentioned playability that stands out in my eyes. It's, it's gotta be fun. Like being able to hit these different shots, whether you want to take it low or take it high or use the back, like a backside. I mean, there's just so many different characteristics um, that make up a golf course more than distance, right? I can tell you right now, and I don't know if you've ever played it. Have you ever played Gamble Sands? Uh, actually, I think my buddy told me about that course. It's like fairly newish, right? Yeah, it's it's in the last. Yeah, yeah. It's like in the middle of nowhere too, right? Brewster. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Nowhere. Yeah. But yeah, my buddy John told me about that. If you that. ever get the chance to play there, it will blow your mind. It plays unlike any course that you'll play anywhere because it. David McClay kid built it with all these backdrops and all this. So you can play shots from any angle off of back walls, off of mounds, off of everything else. And then he's, his greens have all these different tiers to them. Well, the first time you go around and play it, you're just trying to hit the greens. You're not really thinking about where you're going. But the second time you play that course, you know that literally everywhere you put the ball on the green gives you a different result. And so you start thinking, well, do I want to come at it from this way or do I want this? Do I want it to roll down this hill? I mean, he used everything so brilliantly out there that I would tell pretty much anybody, if you're any level of golfer and you're looking for an experience that's just fun for everybody, Gamble Sands is about as much fun as you can have on a golf course. I love that. It's just, it's like a brain tease, you know, it's not just like, okay, I'm going to hit this (laughs) full wedge at this pin you know, and it's just like in this, you know, in this spot where you, you can use the ground, the contour. That to me is like so cool, so badass, you know. I think, you know, one of the things that you, you and I had briefly discussed and that I know was was high on your list is like if you're building a bucket list trip, you know, there's international ones and there's U.S. ones. In my opinion, the best trip that that any American golfer can put together Um, if you really want to experience the best golf in this country is the Pacific Northwest. You do Gamble Sands, which is opening a new course, I think in 2025 in early 2025. So Gamble Sands. So you fly into Seattle, Washington. All right. Fly into Seattle. You can play Chambers Bay, the U S open site where beast of a course. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin Johnson choked and Spieth won, you know, um, you can play there. You can then drive three hours to Gamble Sands. You can play Gamble Sands. They're going to have two full courses, a short course and an amazing putting course there. You can go from Gamble Sands and you can head down to Bandon from there. Spend a week down at Bandon, well, five days or whatever, play all the courses there and work your way back up to Seattle. Now, you can pepper in all kinds of other things because between uh, Gamble Sands and Bandon is a place called Bend. And Bend is the outdoor sports capital of the world. Well, Tethero is there, which is another David McClay kid who built Bandon Dunes. You know, so you got Bend, Bandon, Seattle, or Olympic Place, which is where Chambers Bay is, and Gamble Sands and Brewster. You put those into a golf trip, you will never play a better collection of golf courses in the United States than that, that trip. You can do that trip in 10 days. Cut out 10 days for yourself. Heck, anybody can email me if they want. I don't care. I'm happy to build itineraries. I do it for people all the time, all around the country. Build that itinerary out, and I'm I'm telling you, you'll never find a better golf trip in your life. Now, time of the year matters. You're best off going May to September. 
you know, but you can do it later. It's just then you're not getting it at prime. So you want to plan in May, you want to plan in September, you know, I'm happy to have anybody reach out to me. I can build the perfect trip for you, but that's how you go. You heard it here first, but also kind of diving deeper and a little, in, a little bit more into that. I mean, each course itself stands on its own as far as like it having its own feel. So it's a nice collection of courses, right? I mean, you you get the ocean, you get the woods, uh, you get links, you get, uh, you know, different style of courses, which I think is also really important too, to have for, for someone who wants like diversity in that 10 day period, right? Well, and I always tell people, you know, depending on what you're looking for, because I get people who call me all the time and are like, hey, will you build me a two week trip? Best golf courses you can put together, best trip that you can put together. I've done it in the Southwest. I've done it in the Pacific Northwest. Just depends on the time of year and what people are looking for. But when I build the one in the Pacific Northwest, I always throw Sylvie's Valley in there because Sylvie's Valley is the only course in the United States other than the loop at Forest Dunes that's reversible. So Sylvie's Valley is also in Oregon, only an hour and a half from Bend. So people will go from, and Dylan and I did this trip too, you know. Um, so you'll go from Gamble Sands down to Sylvie's Valley, over to Bend, over to Bandon, up to, you know, Chambers Bay. But what you're talking about there is, yes, you're getting everything. You're getting forest. You're getting ocean. You're getting reversible golf courses. You're getting links. You're getting parkland. You get everything there. And if you do it between May and September, you can't beat it, you know? And then down in your neck of the woods, I can always go down there, too, and I can yeah. set up What's a your Nevada. SoCal, like, yeah, southwest yeah. region? What, what would you say for someone in, in San Diego or someone in, like, Los Angeles? I mean, if you're in San Diego, one, you got to play Barona Creek, you know? Uh, it's only, what, an hour from you out there. The casino course out there, they always take fabulous care of that. But then you roll from Barona Creek up to Rams Hill, you know, about two hour drive. Yeah, up Rams there. Hill's awesome. Rams Hill's gotten like yeah. a lot of notoriety as of late too. So I that's love hot. that course. I've got, I, I usually go like a couple times a year. Sorry to interrupt, but I love no, that. No, that's cool. Yeah. So then you roll from Rams Hill up to Palm Springs and you play you know, the mountain course, you know, at La Quinta. And I just you know, played PGA, there. I just but, played. Shout out to Tristan Taylor, PGA on Instagram. But yeah, he, yep. yeah, sorry, keep going. No, so you do that and then you roll over. And I say, like, you go over to Los Angeles, Oak Quarry. You know, you, you hang Oak Quarry, you drop down to Goat Hill Park. You can play the Pelican Hill once, the two courses that are out there. That's a great way. You know, exactly. Newport. Drop down to Goat Hill, play there, Oceanside. Matt Janelle is always hanging out there, so you can play with a legend if you get the chance. You know, Xander Shoffley's always playing there, so, you know, you got a lot of a lot of pockets that are there. And then drop down to San Diego, play the Grand, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, Torrey Pines is there, uh, but that's a heck of a loop for SoCal. Right. No, it's, okay, and so then, one thing I want to oh, dial into. Go ahead, sorry. No, I just say go down to Point Loma and play that nine-hole course in town and sit out there and have a few drinks at their bar. So yeah, no, that's do that awesome. dude. I'm just smiling because I've done like a, a couple of those courses, so <laughs> it's always cool. I just love golf trips. There's literally nothing better than golf trips. Uh, I've taken trips to Bandon, uh, to Cyprus, MPCC. We when I was up there, we got to play MPCC. My buddy is a like a marketing director at uh, Pasadena, so we played Pasadena. I'm trying to go back every year. To play Cypress, we'll see. 
The funny thing for me with golf trips is like for the last nine years, I've been designing golf trips for about a thousand different people around the country. I think, I think I've honestly planned 800 golf trips for people and people are always like, man, how much money do you make? I don't even ask for money. I ask for a $20 gift card on Amazon for my daughters for their library that they're building at home. That's, I mean, so people are like, so you'll design a two week golf trip for me for a $20 Amazon card. A lot of people send me or whatever, but I'm like, yep, I'm not, I'm not in this for myself. My whole goal of being in golf is to send as many people as possible to the best places as they can go, you know? And I have people all the time who are like, well, what's the biggest waste of money? What's the biggest, you know, uh, where, where wouldn't you send people? What would you avoid? I, I never mind pull. I, I won't pull any punches. I'll tell you where I wouldn't play in a heartbeat. All right. Well, so, let's go through them. I mean, you, you, you kind of walked into that one. So where are we not going? I mean, heck, if I'm going out to California, I am not playing spyglass. Uh, it's in my opinion, it's a waste of money. It's one of the most expensive rounds in golf for four good holes. What is it? How much and, is it like four or 500 bucks? Yeah. $500, mm-hmm. you know, and pebble is ridiculous. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what about, what about pebble? If you can play it once, play it once. I don't know that you'll ever want to play it twice unless you're rich, but it's well worth one experience. You know, standing there on the first tee at Pebble is as nervous as you'll ever get. You got that stupid camera right behind you that everybody in the world can watch, and it's in your head. You know that everybody's sitting there watching you shank your first shot. And, you know, I stood there on the first tee at Pebble, and I was like, oh, I don't know what everybody's so nervous about. And I pulled mine straight left. (laughs) I was like, you're not kidding me. This is the stupidest thing. So get this. Pebble Beach, I started 888 at Pebble and shot 80. This little snowman. Snow, yeah. 888. Yeah, because it's what? Par four? This is second hole's par five, right? Yep. And then par four? And then par four. Yeah. So yep. four. I went seven, eight, 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 11 eight. over. Yeah. Dang. You just lit it up on the back, thought, baby. Yeah. I, I was pretty happy with the rest of the way but my gosh if i wasn't the suckiest golfer in the world for those first three holes imagine what i could have shot there yeah course records in jeopardy baby watch out wait so then what what what's your overall thoughts on like you know monterey like how do you feel about monterey california i mean collection of courses right pretty good golf or how do you feel about monterey because i had the opportunity and i know i keep bringing this up but i just have to tell a guy like you that i played cypress and like that to me is my greatest experience. Like one of my good buddies, I had mentioned him earlier as a membership director down there and he's kind of plugged. I mean, it's a small world, right? So we had the opportunity to go play Cyprus uh, with the the superintendent there. And it was like the greatest experience of all time. Hollowed grounds. I felt like I did not belong there. Cool pro shop, like just super old school. Like I will remember that day for the rest of my life. Had an awesome caddy, got to play, you know, 16, got to be on the ocean. That to me is just like, my high of golf and i want to tell that to you but i also want to hear your perspective about you know monterey but then also cyprus as well so i mean monterey to me it's it's unbelievable but it's unbelievably expensive you know i I, you can't you can't pull the wool over people's eyes on that one it is it's ridiculous uh tiempo pebble you know, Spyglass is what it is. If everybody has to play it, fine, whatever. Um, I'd rather play the Lynx of Spanish over Spyglass. 
you're closer, you know, to the ocean in, in general. They've got one of the best 19 holes in all of golf at Sticks. You know, it's one of the coolest patios. You can sit out there and watch the bagpiper walk right by you at sunset. It's it's awesome. Um, there's a lot of good golf there, but, you know, what about, I'm like, not the preserve? a big. Uh, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I've heard it's amazing. I've heard it's good. Now, Monterey Peninsula Country Club is epic. You know, that that was great. Um, but I'm with you on Cyprus. You know, uh, Cyprus is my third favorite course in the world. Um, it's the it's a top 10 experience for me, for sure. You know, I think anybody who gets a chance to play it is amazingly blessed. Uh, I can totally see why it would stick in your head. Now, I prefer 15 over 16 by a mile, yeah. you know. I birdied fifteen. Um, I birdied fifteen. Did you? Yeah. I I missed three foot putt for birdie. So I yeah, yeah that that still eats me alive. But but yeah, I mean, I I think it's amazing. I, I'm glad you got to play it because it really is a another world experience. I mean, yeah. there's the nothing deer, like. I it, remember really. the deer just like came up to me, like they were like yep. a dog or something. You know what I mean? They just like approached me, and it was incredible. I mean. Just just talking about it, reflecting on it with you, it just it makes me smile. It gives me butterflies. It's like, dude, this is incredible, and I do feel super blessed, you know. And you got to feel super blessed as well. I mean, you've played so many and had so many experiences as well, right? I mean, for you, like reflecting on what you've been able to do, it's got to be like, wow. Part of the part of the whole reason I got into rating courses was I was hoping that I would just be able to keep it rolling, and I wanted to be able to compare apples to apples, you know. I wanted to be able to go into my lists and look at my top 643 courses and have them all in order from one to 643 and be able to go. Yeah. And, and the question I always say, cause people are like, well, if you have two that are tied, how do you feel about it? And, and the question is always, if you could only play one of these courses, which one would you pick? You know, because there's a lot of people that are like, wait, so you would rather play Pacific dunes over pebble. Absolutely. Every day of the week. You know, well, why? Pebble's amazing. Yes, Pebble's amazing for what it is, okay? But I don't, a six-hour round to me is a long round of golf, you know? I, I, by by hole 12, standing there waiting in the fairway for every single shot and, you know, basically taking a mini nap, waiting for everybody to take their pictures. And, you know, was it amazing once? yes. But do I have to do it again? No, I would love to do it with my son. It's one course he hasn't played, you know, but I tell everybody it's a bucket list thing once, but there are so many other courses that I would go to, you know, I mean, some people are like, oh, so you don't like Pebble. Pebble's 15th on my list of all the courses I've ever played. So I love Pebble. You know, it's in the top 1% of courses for me, but it's just not my favorite course. It's eight on uh Golf Digest, top 100. What about like golf in the Northeast, like Fisher Island, like all these New York golf clubs? That's something I, you know, I've, I've been on the West Coast my entire life. Some of my really good buddies, I mean, you'd mentioned MPCC. He's like a superintendent there. So he's similar to you. He's just super plugged. He's like, can just send uh, an email to the head pro. Hey, I am this person. Can I get out? No problem, sir. So he, he, and he doesn't pay for golf either. You know what I mean? So he took a trip to uh, to New York and was telling me about it. 
and it just kind of went through all these courses. And, and I didn't realize that, you know, after kind of reflecting on and, and reviewing this list, there's so many of the top 100 in the, in the, in New York and the Northeast. So like, what are your general kind of thoughts? Uh, can we kind of talk through some of these courses as well? Sure. So national golf links of America is my number two course I've ever played in the world. You know, it's on long Island. It's absolutely unbelievable. It's an Alistair McKenzie course, you know, um, so again, it's got the pedigree. It's got everything that you could ask for. The, the green complexes are, are wild. It's got the giant windmill. It's, it's got all kinds of hidden things. The, you know, it's, it's famous for so many things. It's finishing stretch, the peanut butter and ginger snaps that you get at the turn. Um, what is a that? Lot, lot, You're making me hungry. That's here. A, it's a New York thing, apparently. Uh, I mean, we had it everywhere. We did it at Shinnecock. We did it at, you know, Maidstone and yeah. and that. But, uh, you know, New York's got, it's got all the private golf. But then, like, the Trump links at Ferry Point was really, was really awesome. Just outside of New York City under the bridge. That was great. Pete Dye's uh, Pound Ridge is just outside of the city. It's... Uh, he said it's the most dynamite he's ever used on a golf course. And, you know, uh, another thing about that course was the, the billionaire uh, owner at the time who had him build it, you know, die said he wrote me a blank check and I used all of it. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it's one of those things where you're like, there's so much incredible golf scattered around the country and New York and New Jersey is loaded with private courses so much that it'd be impossible for like even somebody with me. I, I have probably a hundred outstanding invitations, but I'll probably never get to them. You know, well, if you need anyone to take the spaces for you, I'm your guy. All right. I, you have my cell phone. I didn't mean to interrupt, but keep going. <laughs> exactly. Dylan and I, Dylan and I will take a trip. I'll take care of Dylan. I'm a little older than Dylan. I'll, I'll watch over and make sure he's okay. Make sure he doesn't get any trouble. But it'll it'll be good if if you're ever you know busy. But yeah, that's the great side of it though is no matter where you go, you know if you're going down to Mexico, Cabo is the best golf destination in Mexico. You know if you're going to Canada, Banff. Alberta is probably the best golf you can get in Canada, you know, with Stewart Creek and Jasper Park and Banff Springs and Gray Wolf. I mean, those all those courses will blow you away. And that's just in one province, you know, um, Dylan and I were out in Vancouver and Vancouver Island out there and, you know, Whistler and all that. And each pocket of the United States, each pocket of Mexico, each pocket of Canada has a bucket list trip there for you. And I just encourage everybody, whether it's contacting you, whether it's contacting me, whether it's contacting anyone, don't be afraid to ask, what are the can't miss places, you know, and and tell people to be honest. The worst thing you can do on a golf trip is to invest something on a trip of a lifetime for you, go there and play a piece of crap course because some magazine rated it highly and you have no idea why, you know, find somebody that you trust and just 
have them lay it out for you. Where would you play? You know, if it were you spending your money, where would you spend your money? Uh, I can tell you every state of the United States where I would play, every province, every every country that I've played in, five places that I would say are your can't miss. I mean, I, I start here in Minnesota. People are always like, well, you only get like six months out of the year to golf if we're lucky, you know? Right. But there's but so much pure golf too in Minnesota, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're coming to Minnesota, I'm taking you to Deacon's Lodge first and foremost. It's the number one place I'm taking you. It's Arnold Palmer's course that he built for his dad. It's an hour and a half north of me here in Brainerd. I'm taking everybody there. I'm taking everybody to Giants Ridge, you know, which has two 18-hole courses way up in northern Minnesota, way up in the Iron Iron Mountain Range up there. Taking everybody to the wilderness. And those four courses to me are all bucket list courses. Everybody in America, if you're ever driving through Minnesota, those are the four courses in Minnesota you've got to play. And I encourage people, if you're just traveling anywhere, ask somebody who knows and play those places. You know, Don't trust the ratings necessarily. Trust somebody who's been all over the place and played everywhere. Matt Janella is great with lists. He will tell you where he would avoid and where he would play. And he's a very honest guy. I tell everybody, trust him, trust somebody like Jason Deegan golf advisor, you know, for golf advisor, he's always going to pump up all the places he goes. But if you can get a hold of him personally and say, where are the places I should go? He'll tell you, you know, people like Jason and Matt, they're very trustworthy people. They've played as many places as I have. They know what they're talking about. You know, none of us are afraid to tell you where you should be spending your money. All right. All right. This might be a stretch because it's not like the biggest golf destination of all time, but I'm going to the Dominican Republic here shortly to visit my pops. Have you been there? And and do you have any recommendations for me? Uh, I know like Punta Cana, like Casa de Campo is like fairly well known, but from your eyes and your perspective, like where should I be playing when I'm out there? I mean, if you haven't done Casa de Campo, you could stay there all week and never have to leave and get everything that you want out of it. You know, Punta Cana, Corrales that's out there, you know, there are great courses out there. But honestly, if you could stay at Casa de Campo, they've got the best food, the best service, the best golf courses, everything all in one place. You would never want to leave there. If you went there first and you left, you would be disappointed wherever you went. If you went anywhere else and went to Casa de Campo, you would say, gosh, why didn't I just stay here the whole time? So I always tell people, if you have the opportunity to go, go. If you have the chance to play Teeth of the Dog twice, play it twice, because the first time it'll confound you. If you have the chance to play Die For, everybody overlooks it, but it's right on the cliffs. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> Dominican Republic is great. Uh, but Casa de Campo is a world of its own. They've got shooting ranges. They've got paddle boarding in crystal clear waters. They have private catamarans that take you to the islands off the coast that are unbelievable. Um, the snorkeling out there is is fantastic. And the cool thing about Casa de Campo is it's a private like property. So you don't have to worry about security. You're inside their gates. It's massive, but there's nothing to worry about. And for all the crime and everything in Dominican Republic, it's as safe as you can be when you're down there. Mm -hmm. Okay, noted. Yeah, we're, we're actually have plans to go there because I've just done like, you know, a little bit of research. So I'm super pumped. I'll send you some pics. 
And we're coming up on the hour mark. Yeah, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but one thing that I, I really want to learn more about, and I, I think that, you know, a part of it is I haven't played necessarily the most golf at some of these places, but I mean, I'm seeing Alistair McKenzie all over the list. You know, I've played, I played Cypress. Obviously I've mentioned that like six times, but I see him all over. And I, I just wanted to kind of talk through some of your favorite architects, like old, but also new. I mean, you'd brought up Pete Dye, right. brought up these guys. I just think it's interesting how a guy like Alistair McKenzie, you know, could have been around for, you know, so long or, you know, he's in the past, but you still see his name all over the place. Right. And to me, that's like the most cool, iconic, epic thing. Uh, so I, I just kind of wanted to talk through some of your, maybe your favorite architects and then talk maybe about how Alistair McKenzie like sort of impacted golf. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I know we kind of chatted about it a little bit and you had asked about like the Mount Rushmore of architects and I put a little bit of thought into it cause I went through my, my 643 list and I was like, who have I played the most and who am I noticing is packed up at the top? of all of my lists and McKenzie's a good one. I'm a big McKenzie fan. I'm a big Stanley Thompson fan for all the work he's done in Canada. Uh, his courses are great too, but like when I'm going through the Mount Rushmore and I'm mixing it all up, you know, I, I start kind of with Mike Strantz. Um, he's Monterey Peninsula. So your guy out there would love that, you know, but Mike Strantz was tobacco road, Todd Hill farm in North Carolina he kind of saw things in a way that nobody else saw it in golf. He was kind of a Pete Dye uh, disciple where he did a lot of things that Pete Dye but then did, but took it a little bit further. So I would say Mike Strantz is one of my five architects. You know, so the way that I always phrase it when I'm talking to people is they're like, so if you could take any five architects from history and have them build you a golf resort, who would you have build your courses? You know, because... Mount Rushmore and golf is, is great and cute, but there's only four spots and I'd rather go five. So, <laughs> so Mike Strance would be one of my five. Um, David McClay kid would be another one of my five because I don't think anybody makes more fun courses than he makes. He makes everything playable for everybody right now. And uh, you know, he did band and dunes. He did gamble sands that we talked about. So he really is kind of a revolutionary mind. And kind of kind of is doing that right now. Um, Seth Rayner is a name that always comes up. Uh, he's done a lot. Um, I'm not a Donald Ross fan, so Ross wouldn't make mine, even though he'd make a lot of lists. But you know, Mackenzie would be one of my five because of Fishers Island. That's top of my bucket list. You know, people always say, "Well, where haven't you played that you want to play?" Sand Hills in Nebraska, Fishers Island. You know, those are both up there for me. Um, Shadow Creek in Nevada is somehow the one that's gotten away. That's yeah. my white whale. Yeah. I don't know. I've been so many times. I just got back from, from Vegas, too. I, and I, yeah, so. And then CB McDonald, I tell people all the time, you know, he's always on my mind. Chicago Golf Club is on at the top of my bucket list, and that's a CB McDonald, you know, course. So, he'd be another one of my architects, but you look around today at what people are doing and there's so many names coming up and coming out. Um, I, I tell anybody and everybody who's trying to think of where they should go. And you're looking at the, the Northeast, you know, Cabot 
up in Nova Scotia is unbelievable. Mm. You know, um, Cabot? it's another place that I tell you. Yeah. Is, Cabot, it, is it a resort Cabot, or is it just like one course? It's a resort. Okay. Yeah. It's a resort at two full courses and a short course. And you see a lot of the best minds in golf are just rolling with that stuff. Now, you know, you got names popping up Cabot down in uh, St. Lucia, St. Lucia, however, Americans say it, that's whatever. Um, it's another course. It was going to be public, but now they're making it private. But, you know, Cor and Crenshaw are down there working. And, you know, a lot of the guys that I like, you know, Riley Johns, um, Brian Schneider, uh, you look at uh, uh, one of the courses at the top of my bucket list that I'm playing this summer is Landman in uh, Nebraska. And that's Rob Collins and Tad King. And they're popping up all over the place because people are playing their courses, you know, Sweetens Cove and Landman and uh, different ones that are that they're building. And they kind of are like Mike Strands where they go outside the box and they're like, let's build something that nobody's ever seen before and play that. So, you know, people who are traveling across the United States, if you're heading through Nebraska, go play Landman. It Look it up. Yeah. for one let and me, you'll be blown let away me, yeah i mean i have google but i knew i'd have to have a, a google tab open land man so l-a-n-d-m-a-n-d yeah and homer check that place out it will blow your mind and, and you know there's a reason i'm playing there and by and bally neil uh, dylan and i are going to bally neil this summer um and that land man in one trip and talk about two completely mind-blowing experiences very different ways now this looks incredible yeah there's a lot of crazy golf out there yeah all right well i don't want to take up too much of your time i really appreciate you and i think that you know you're inspiring me and and hopefully my audience to to take some golf trips because there's literally (laughs) nothing better than a golf trip i can vouch for that so can you whether you're with your buddies or with your family so I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the pod. It really means a lot to me. I'm glad we could finally sit down after X amount of time and get this done. Like I look up to you, you know, you're a guy who's been doing it professionally. I just started this. It's a passion of mine, but I really want to, you know, continue to uh, like build this audience, build this platform. Um, So where can people contact you? Are you okay with them contacting you or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So follow me on Instagram at mobile golfer. You know, um, on Twitter, I'm at the mobile golfer. Twitter's so political and so everything right now. So I'm not always on there, but Instagram, I'm a f- photography is one of my passions. So I live on Instagram, uh, still. And, uh, yeah, you can, you can do that. You can reach me there. You can always direct message me there, especially if you have questions on golf trips. Like I said, I put together probably a hundred golf trips for people every year. All I ask for is, a gift card for books for my kids, you know, in return. So I'm happy to save you thousands of dollars by just emailing me or messaging me on Instagram. Okay, for sure. I'll make sure that that gets linked in the show notes as well. And then any final like clothing, closing thoughts as far as, you know, like you kind of looking back, reflecting on your career or what do you want to, what do you want to leave people with? I mean, really, I just encourage people every year to Pick three places you've never played. doesn't matter what they are, but pick three places you've never played and make it a point to go play them. Uh, make one of them be someplace you've always wanted to play and then just two other places that just pop up because 
the diversity in the golf architecture game out there right now is so strong and so wide that if you're sticking to the same courses all the time, you're missing a world of opportunities. I, I encourage my kids, I encourage followers, I encourage everybody to go somewhere new every year, play something new every year. You know, you don't have to be great. You don't have to, you know, play from any length or anything. Don't get stuck on that stuff. Get stuck more on getting out there and taking pictures and experiencing things in a new way. Uh, I try and take my family to a new area, new town, new resort, new something every, every year, because I just feel like, you know, there's so much out there that you really can't appreciate until you you've been there. Um, one of the things that you would ask me that you were like, well, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Australia forever has been on the top of my list. And one of these days I hope to make it to Tasmania because Cape Wickham has been my number one bucket list course forever. And one of these days I'm going to get there. But if you can get to Tasmania and Barnboogle and, and Cape Wickham, you know, I, I'm envious of you. So, so anybody who beats me there, you can, you can envy me all you want, but I will be more jealous than you can possibly imagine if you get there. So uh, get out and travel.